everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Vancouver Real. I am your solo host today, Mike Zaremba, and I'm very, uh, very happy to be here with you. Thanks for joining us wherever you are, whatever you might be doing. I really appreciate you coming along on this little journey that we have today. And uh, first, I'll just say um, we are podcasting here from Float House, as per usual, 70 West Cordova Street. Uh, floathouse.ca is our website, so please check that out. If you have any questions or you want to explore flotation therapy and what this environment can do for you or for others, um, check it out. We have lots of information on there and great resources to draw from. So if you want to check it out, you can use the promo code VancouverReal and save 20% off a single float. And obviously we are sponsored by Floathouse, and that is what makes this whole thing possible. So I encourage you to check it out if you have the opportunity. And please uh, make your attention aware of our Vancouver Real community group that we have on Facebook now. We want people to join that group and come to their meetups that we have every month or so, um, ranging from a vast uh, uh, different topics and um, experiences from martial arts classes to nutrition uh, lectures to music, uh, learning how to play music even if you're not instrumental, whatever. We have so many different things going on and we want to meet you. So please come out to one of our meetups by joining the Facebook group page and connecting with that community on there. Um, I wanted to get through that intro quickly because I wanted to dive right into our our show today because I'm very happy to be sitting here with two very special people that I've come to meet over the last few months and connect with and learn from. And I look forward to learning a lot more today. And I'm very happy to bring uh, these individuals to you today because on Vancouver Royal, we are dedicated to highlighting um, anyone who's in this city that maybe is doing something that is unique and special and that needs to be brought to the attention of people that maybe isn't being brought to as much attention on mainstream media that could be or should be. And so we want to provide this platform for all of those uh, opportunities that we hear of and experience in this city. Um, And one thing I'll do that I've done before on other podcasts that we've done is uh, acknowledge the land that the city is on. Um, We are on unceded Coast Salish territories here in Vancouver. And uh, this is extra significant for today's podcast um, simply by the, the guests that we have joining us. And today I am joined by um, a gentleman named Gaiustis. And Gaiustis is an indigenous leader of this land. Um, and I've been very fortunate to come across his, uh, his presence and to be able to reach out and say, hey, would you be interested to coming on this show to, to share with us? And, and he's, uh, he's opened up. To that, and so I really am grateful and humbled that you are here. And so, Gaiostes, officially welcome to Vancouver Real. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy that we could um, connect. Likewise, yeah. And we're also joined by your lovely wife, Jasmine. So, Jasmine, thank you for joining us as well. Yeah, we appreciate the invitation. Very cool. And um, that, I think this might be our first ever husband and wife combo. We've had different partners and relationships on here, but husband and wife, I think this is the first. So, another first for us. Trailblazer. That's right. Nice. So, thanks for joining us. Um, and I wanted to read off just a little bit that I've had accumulated um, to describe yourself a little bit, but then I'll, I want to get sure. you to to self-describe a little bit more from me. Um, So as I mentioned, you're an indigenous leader. Um, Your name means the one who gets things done. 
Um, and you travel around currently and you educate and you teach and you share and you sing and you pray um, at different venues, associations, institutions, uh, groups, ceremonies, sa- circles, like, you know, the, really the list goes on and on and on. Yes. And, um, and, you know, and I wanted to highlight the, the word educating as a part of that. Um, and I looked that up. I'm like, you know, just because I'm like, okay, education, what does that actually mean? And it means to intellectual and moral and social instructions. And I thought that was very applicable to probably the messages and the words that you're sharing to people. Um, but guys, can you maybe go in a little bit deeper of sharing with me and everyone listening what, uh, what you do and where you come from, who you are? And um, again, I want to just thank you for, for being here. But uh, mm-hmm. if you can share with us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I guess for me, um, I was born uh, in uh, what they call 1971 for this body that came here. And, um, but there, I've come to learn throughout my life that there's no spiritual birthday. That's known only by Creator. And so I'm much, much older than this uh, earth time that I have here now. And it's been a long journey for me to uh, to discover who I am and to pick up the sacred instruments, the feathers and the fans and, and the different things that we use, the instruments that creation has given us to run ceremonies, uh, all different kinds of ceremonies. I run um, hundreds of them, um, at the least a couple hundred of them. And... Um, but throughout my life, I was not always just born with uh, hereditary leaders uh, teaching me how to to be. I wasn't just born with a whole tribe of indigenous leaders helping me along um, because of the uh, outcome that has uh, bestowed upon all of our people and everybody is in, impacted by the residential schools and colonization. And so, first of all, I had before I took a step to do anything, I had to find out where I came from, which is um, a story that goes back before I was born in 1971. Hmm. And it goes to my what happened to my parents, and it goes to what happened to my grandparents and my great-grandparents, and how it was uh, that things started to get dismantled for me and my people um, by systematic uh, genocide time-tested genocide. Mm-hmm. And so um, I can say that just calmly and freely now, <laughs> yeah. you know, but before it was like, ah, <laughs> frustration and anger and hurts and pains. So before I start even talking about what necessarily happened with my family in particular, what happened with me, I just wanted to, uh, to sing a little chant. Thank you. Uh, just to uh, create the space because I don't just come here to Vancouver Real with just me and, and my beautiful wife, but we come here with our uh, guides and our helpers and our ancestors. I bring in um, all I can for this time that we're in too. There's uh, people are ready to start to receive this ancient information. They've grown enough to be able to start to uh, to digest it. Hey, oh, hey.
Sacred Mountain, uh, over 20 years ago, uh, when I was beginning my journey to uh, find out who I was, and um, you know, for me, I I was born when I got here in the early 70s, what they call uh, uh, the early 70s. I was born into a world of uh, alcoholism and uh, drug addiction, and uh, physical abuse, and every kind of uh, emotional abuse, mental. And um, f for me, uh, being a little boy, a little little boy, I was just remembering, I, 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 uh, I didn't really know um, about drums. I didn't really see any. Uh, I didn't really have any kind of traditional medicine path to follow. <laughs> when I was born, I was born straight into, I could look back and take a look at it, survival mode. Mm. My only job is to make it through today. <laughs> wow. And it was like that every day. And then it became when I had other brothers, when uh, my brother John and my brother Pete came, they needed me to grow up fast because mm -hmm. of uh, the alcoholism that was happening with the adults and everybody else around us that it was a uh, survival mode for us and um but we made it through you know there was a lot of really uh traumatic things that our bird witnessed to a lot of violence and fights and a lot of really um debilitating behaviors I, I can say that now, mm -hmm. but then I just thought it was normal. Right. I just thought it was normal to, like, you know, get beaten on by adults and knocked around and locked in closets by adults. And I thought that was how it was if I didn't behave, you know, properly. Yeah, I remember when we were meeting before we had this interview, and, you sh yeah, you kind of made that point to me, like, you know, you thought this is just how the world was. Yeah. And he had no idea that it was different or could be different at that point in time. And then when I heard that from you, I just was, I mean, I don't know, it just really hit me because I never even, you know, I came from middle class, um, you know, upbringing, very privileged, very safe, very protected. And, um, and I, it really hit me. So um, I couldn't even imagine what that would be like when you when you have a world where that is that's your reality. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was my reality and all of my uh, family and relatives too, my cousins and all of the people that I had met. I grew up in Squamish. Mm-hmm. Well, I got bigger in Squamish. Still trying to grow up. I gotcha. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when I was in Squamish growing up and getting going through school and going through everything, being introduced into school and and those kinds of things, and when they were unfolding f- for me, I uh, made it all the way through, like, until I was in high school, and I was a teenager, and I went over to my friend's house after school, just went over to go hang out, and he said, yeah, come to our house, yeah, yeah, my mom wants to meet you, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, but then I got there, and his mom was really kind, like, just really friendly and kind. You know, I'm not saying my mom wasn't kind at times, but we had a lot of struggles as a family growing up. And I never I never experienced... It was kind of like watching that show, Leave it to Beaver. Mm. You know, the right. happy parents welcomed it in their... I never experienced... I thought that was fiction. Right. I didn't know that that was real. And then, so I was kind of uncomfortable... Now this is a really friendly environment, and it's nice and kind. Right. And they're giving, offering me food, and then I went in to meet the dad, and he was even more nicer. <laughs> and then it hit me, you know, I never, uh, my dad wasn't around growing up, mm. um, because of all the things that was happening with alcoholism and addiction, and pushing apart our family. Yeah. But it hit me like really strong, and I didn't know what it was. But I, I had no idea what to do with it, hmm. and I started to cry. And I was, like, at my friend's house in front of his parents, and it was, I didn't know, so I ran. I got oh. mad, and I ran. I got to go, and I just ran away. Right. And I didn't realize it. And um, But those were the first people that I kind of met. I, I found out later that they don't drink. Hmm. And I didn't know. I didn't know that anybody, I thought everybody I thought everybody grew up the same way that we did, right? You know, and a lot of times, like there were things, the way they were, was like so. You say ninety percent of all of the uh, adults are uh, alcoholics, and you know, there's a lot of money being spent on alcohol, and not a lot of money being spent on food and bills and stuff like that. Right. So growing up, um, I was in a community who is all in survival mode. It really gave me an opportunity to look towards each other in the community and look towards each other for uh, any kind of uh, help and support that we could offer or get uh, from each other. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, that's all we had, mm-hmm. you know. And um, But when I first found out that people weren't drinking and stuff, you know, it's still for years later, I didn't really get it. Right. I didn't really get it. I yeah. didn't sink in how people operated outside of it. Right. Yeah, it was a completely different paradigm. Yeah, a completely different way to look at everything in life. Mm-hmm. And so I started to notice that there were some things wrong with me. Later in life, I got into like uh, my, uh, my 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm just going like a brief kind of scan over my life with much more layers that goes into each part of these things that I'm sharing. Mm-hmm. The um, when I started to realize that, wait a minute, there's people out there that well, what do they do? I started to get curious, and then I started to grow up and you know become a young man, 
and I started to uh, notice teenager. You know, I moved out when I was 13, so I didn't have very much time to, wow. uh, to, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was in survival mode all through the whole teen years, but right. when I started to realize after all the parties in high school and after all of the, you know, out the river, you know, and the mm-hmm. things that we did as kids and concerts and guitars and, you know, and I started to realize that um, there was something kind of wrong with me hmm. that I always had to have a drink or something. And it was like that my whole life. Like, you know, I first had been introduced into marijuana when I was five. Wow. You know, five. And it was part of my life in so many different ways for mm-hmm. all through my teen years. And um, I wonder how it would be, you know. I, w- I wonder how it would be and um, to be without it. And I would always wonder about this other people. And then um, I met my dad when I was a young man. Uh, and he... He, I, I was mad at him. I was furious. Like, why weren't you there in my life? Like, where were you? Mm-hmm. You know. So I was like looking for him for years, and my main goal at that time was just to, just to beat him up. Like, wow. you got it coming, man. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I found out that my mom hit on him, hmm. and he looked for us his whole life. So it was. Oh wow! And then I, I met him. How did that feel when you when you found that out? Well, it changed everything because I was on a furious, angry hunt right. for him, and my only world was bars, and there was you know, and everybody knew him. Hmm. Everybody knew my dad where I was looking, but they haven't seen him in years and years. And then this one time, I I wound up uh, on a little. Uh, provincial um, stay in uh, all expense paid trip at the crowbar hotel <laughs> so I got into this scuffle with some police and then yeah. they wound up giving me a, an all expense paid trip and so I went there and I asked a native liaison worker and she because uh, I, I thought he might have been to jail or something because mm-hmm. I'm still in this trying to get out of this picture of this world where people don't have these kind of problems right and um so I asked her, and, and I said, yeah, 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 you know uh, J.C. Lucas? And she uh, she goes, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, well, right on, you know, great. I said, well, so uh, why, she says. You know, he was just at our house the other day, you know, we did a pipe ceremony and blessed our home, and, you know, we had a feast. And I was like, pipe ceremony? I was like, I don't know nothing about that, like, mm. uh I don't know if we have the right guy. Yeah, J.C. J.C. Lucas. He goes, why do you want to know? I said, because he's my dad. And her jaw dropped. She's like, oh, what? Are you serious? Like, uh, well, does, does he know where you, does he know, does he know he's your dad? Like, does he know anything? Wow. And um, so it turned out that he was a ceremonial uh, leader at the, by the time I asked and had tracked him down. And that he was a pipe carrier and that he uh, runs a lot of sweat lodges on Vancouver Island and still runs them in that jail that I I was in at that time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know. I had no idea um, what he did and what his place was. But one time when I was coming back from the 
from the gym and I was working out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that native liaison worker came out of her office and grabbed me on the wrist. And I was just like, she closed the door behind her. She stepped into the hallway and she said, your, your dad's here. Hmm. You know, and I'm like 240 pounds. I'm just like pumped up and I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> My dad's here. <laughs> and uh, she said, yeah. I said, this is like not visiting time. He said, he comes in here and does smudging and helps counsel. And I'm like, oh, and it hit me. I was like, oh, no, mm. my only quest was to beat him up. And now I'm not necessarily in the situation to be able to do that. <laughs> so I stepped into the door and I saw him sitting there. He was just sitting there, just calm. And he smiled. And I... um Something happened when we looked at each other. Hmm. Like something happened that I never felt before. And it felt like something just poked me right in the chest. And it was felt good, but it was just like a little pinprick. Wow. And I was just like, wait a minute, that feels kind of good. What is that? Hmm. So I um, took a step towards him. And it kind of was like, I felt it stronger, and I was like, oh, no. I had no idea what was going on. And then instead of uh, fighting and beating him up, like I had fantasized about my whole life because I was doing his job raising my brothers and myself and uh, doing his job looking after my mom. and You know, those are all the resentments that I carried all through my life. And then I realized that he was, um, he loved me. Like, it had to be, you know, but I didn't even figure that out hmm. for years later. Right after that, they they got me out on parole. They were like, you're, you know, you don't need to be here. Wow. <laughs> so they gave me parole, and I think that had to do with that prayer and meeting my dad, wow. a completion of my circle. There's part of me that was gone all my life, but I still didn't know that at that time. Right. You know, so we just visited and talked, and then, you know, he brought me to my first sweat lodge. And um, and how old were you at this time? I was just in my early 20s. Early 20s? Okay. Like um, just 20 maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I, I, I almost feel like I should remember the exact date or something, but it was back in the day. <laughs> Sounds like you remember the, the, ex, the experience very vividly. Yes. And that's yes. all that really matters. And then I, I started on my path and I kept going to sweat lodges. Mm-hmm. I I started noticing that him, my dad, and all his friends and his family, that they weren't drinking and doing anything like that. Hmm. And so it was in my family, this weirdness, this weird thing that I was so foreign to me was in my family. So I moved in with him for a short period of time, and we I just kind of observed, like... All of the things that I had to do to uh, perpetually always try to be in survival mode, Mm -hmm. I was all of a sudden in an uncomfortable place of just being able to relax. Wow. I had no idea how to do that. I, you know, I was worried about being in such a calm place. Right. Um, for like the whole, pretty much the whole time that I was, you know, there. Hmm. And then I would take my things to the sweat lodge where I'd help him and, you know. And then so I started my journey there for my healing journey. 
And then from there, briefly, I'll mention I went over to the West Coast and um, I saw Potlatch, our, 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 our ceremony from here on the West Coast, the new channel people. And then I saw um, the many dances and masks and the songs and the singing. And then, like, later on, uh, after I gone to Potlatch, and then I made my way to a ceremony with the Unity, Peace, and Dignity walking staff. And somebody put a drum in my hand, and I was, I had no idea. I was trying to watch how they were doing it, and I, I had no connection to my own heartbeat to drum along with them. And then from there, it opened up to drumming and singing at potlatches and then from there it went brought me to uh, Sundance powwow singing Sundance singing uh, the different family songs of potlatch and then it brought me singing at Sundance for many years mm-hmm. uh, and um, it brought me also to many kinds of ceremonies that come from Sundance and Sundancing and it also brought me to the teepee and the water drum and the instruments and um, it even brought me as far as the teachings of South America with the different uh, strong tobaccos that's utilized and the different medicines that they have that the jungle is providing and uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and different uh, life altering um, medicines and ceremonies Throughout this life, uh, many, many instruments has uh, been bestowed upon me, and um, I never uh, tried to go out and get these things. Like, I never wanted them, <laughs> you know? I was still just trying to figure out how these people are being happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> how are they being happy with nothing? Right. And so that brought me on an incredible journey where I found out through this journey as I was growing into who I was through the traditional ceremonies of our Pacific West Coast initially, through the bathing ceremonies in the mountains and the fasting in the caves and up in the trees and the burying ourselves alive and all of these things that we we do as tribal people, I was doing them just on this search for uh, who I am. And then I'd find out later that that's what our ancestors have done for thousands of years Hmm. and so like i become this man that i am today through the old teachings and the old walk in life and through much much suffering Mm -hmm. um my my beautiful wife she says you had enough suffering now it's time to live and be happy and i really am always striving to do that and so during that time when i started to realize all of this healing journey I had to, in in order for me to find out what was wrong with me, because there was definitely something off in the way that I was living. My rhythm and my flow and my balance was off. I didn't even know that there was balance in my life. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew into it and I grew into who I was, I got to take a good, clear look at where I came from. Where I came from was my dad going to residential school, his dad going to residential school, and then his dad watching his grandpa being hung by the church and the government upon contact that um, telling me the stories and the history and showing me that he was hung because he found a white woman drowned on the beach and he brought the jewelry to the church guy, the preacher, and then they called the police and then they said, you must have killed her. And and so they, they hung him publicly. 
Wow. And we still sing that songs today. Don't use it very, very often. It doesn't surface very often, but the family over there in Heshkotaks, up in Heshko, they use that song all the time. Mm. Uh, opening and closings of uh, all of our ceremonies in Potlatch. Um, so to find that out, that that happened, mm-hmm. and that from that point on, that's when the dismantling of our traditions and our culture to try to move them away, how they they beat and they they uh, they did mental, physical, emotional abuse to my family directly. I know exactly what had happened to my family because they told me. Mm-hmm. You know, my oldest aunties and grandmas who gave me my first uh, traditional name, which I was named for he who lead the people out of slavery. And then that started another cycle, learning from my elders from the West Coast and my dad's side of the family. And then my mom, she was from the Painted Face Societies on the east coast of Vancouver Island. Hmm. So then I started to find out what happened to our families in the longhouses and the winter dance ceremonies. And then the same thing happened to my mom's family, but it was a little bit different. My grandma was uh, strangled to death when my mom was two. Um, And then they had caught the guy and then let him go. (laughs) It was just an Indian that died, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no biggie to them, I guess. Yeah. And so when I realized that these horrible things have happened to the family, I couldn't really at that point now be mad at my mom or be mad at my dad or be mad at my cousins and uncles or, you know, be mad at every at, at everyone mm-hmm. and everything for my current situation in life. And um, so I, I wound up many, many layers to this too, many, many stories yeah. to go into the delicate fabric in which we are here, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so I wound up coming to a place to be able to have a form of uh, forgiveness to, to myself and to all those that have hurt me, which was a really long list. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's almost everything hurt that everyone did and everyone said to me. Um, and so then I was able to redeem myself from a real devastating pit of despair. And, you know, I, I'm happy to know and I'm grateful that I'm not the only one. You know, I'm not the only one who has um, lost the traditions and cultures. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one who thought that they were lost, but the more that I found out who I was, was the more I realized that what's lost is the connection of the spiritual force and the head. There's a disconnection there where they were trying to teach me that what was put in my head was the way that it goes. And what I found out later on was that the spiritual force uses the brain as an onboard computer Hmm. for creating and co-creating life here and that we have the opportunity to be able to share some of those teachings, you know, here on Vancouver Real Mm -hmm. and to be able to kind of take a look at what it is to to be a, even the term, the First Nations, you know, and and the term... uh, um, Aboriginal and uh, you indigenous, know, what they say yeah. it means and everything, you know. Of the new channel, 
I'm not, uh, it's not even uh, in English, and mm. it's not to be translated, you know. Those things are not to be, uh, to be written. We're from a long oral history. And through that, I have found um, a real sense of uh, true freedom, like a real sense of freedom that all of the uh, policies and procedures of these corporations, British Columbia, Canada, USA, you know, any of them, you know, United Nations, all of them, that all of those laws, rules, and regulations, policies, and procedures weren't given to me by Creator. <laughs> hmm. So I just accept all of them and have my true freedom to be able to uh, try to be happy and help. You know, that's what I really am here to do. Right. And... With the uh, the teachings of the pipes and the pipe ceremonies and the law that everything here on earth is, goes by, that there's a tremendous opportunity with so many people searching it out. You know, I'm just one of the guys who kind of made it through and figured out that it's okay to be happy, <laughs> you know. And there's so many of our other um, tribal people in North Central South America and around the world who are just trying to do the same and be happy. Right. You know, because it was genocide. They did try to wipe us out completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's just kind of a nutshell right. of mm-hmm. what's come to be, you know, to be a POD roadman, to be a sun dancer, to be a potlatch mm-hmm. man, to be a, a, have a place in the smokehouses to have places in the rain dances, mm-hmm. the different mass dances, the other uh, different relatives that we have relationship with through the uh, Cinnaboyne, the Cree, the Kiowa, the Comanche, the Hichol, the, the different Nahuatl languages down south into South America, mm-hmm. and how for seven generations they've been praying for unity, peace, and dignity. You know, So I hold my hands up you know, as high as I can from the bottom of our feet all the way through my body, hold my hands up in gratitude and say thank you to the seven generations that came before me that prayed for me. They prayed for me and they prayed for my life. And I wouldn't know any of this stuff if they didn't pray for me. And if they stopped the prayers, maybe we might not have made it through. Mm-hmm. You know. So all of my ancestors and all of the people that walk with the love and the light, you know, my arms go up to you because we have this opportunity to unite to become united in a spiritual force to be able to have real change on this earth. And that comes from a lot of wisdom that I've heard a lot of relatives say and different chiefs from throughout the world, a lot of different teachings that has been shared from Mother Earth. And the way that we're connected to the star beings and the way that we're connected to the star nations that have become uh, guests here on this earth and how that we have the opportunity to be able to really solidify ourselves in unity. It's the big part for me, becoming united with my mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual selves to be able to have the guidance and the wisdom to know the difference of what's going to hurt, cause harm in the future and what's going to help in the future. Mm-hmm for the generations to come. So I'm really glad to be able to be here, and I don't want us to sound like I'm rambling on and on, but I wanted to give a brief introduction to the scope of the 
amounts of information that we can get through these different sweat fireplaces, these different uh, fireplaces with the peyote, the different fires of the great sun up in the sky that brings us life, that shares this fires with all of us. Mm-hmm. That, um, through, hopefully throughout these uh, casts and these recordings that we do, that we'll be able to reach in to some of the endless amounts of uh, teachings and information that Mother Earth and all of this uh, spiritual force of the universe and multiverse has to share with us um, for this time that we're in right now. I mean, hearing you say all of that, it's just, I mean, I, I, I'm, when I while you were talking, there were so many points where I wanted to like stop and dive in there, stop and dive in there and, and go into it. But I think, you know, we kind of just talk, openly discussed that perhaps we'll, you know, we'll explore these things in more detail in the future. And so I'm like, okay, well, where do we go from this? And I guess my first question kind of is, or my question right now is just in terms of right today in this day and age, now you've gone through this process and I mean, you're still going through your process. Um, so if I look at, you know, Gaius calendar, which maybe you manage a little bit, Jasmine, I don't know, but when I look through that, um, you know, what, what, sorts of things are you doing um you know in these days months and years right of of this moment Uh, you mentioned so many things but what do you find um occupies a lot of your time these days um at this time right now you know to be honest with you i'm trying to find those places in my life that need my support like um my own personal support, my own personal like uh, space, my own uh, that I can have and respect um, the need for it, mm-hmm. the need for that sacred space in my life is a uh, is is a must for my own health and happiness. Um, because of the things, to give a little bit more uh, perspective on things, that um, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, there or a few years ago there was a a journey um uh during the idle no more what they call a movement um the awakening um my uh my brother uh Wallace Koyam um chief Bo Dick uh was sitting on the island there and his daughters came and approached him and before his uh his grandfather and them had talked to him and about breaking a copper and that's our big copper shields that we have mm. on the coast here. There's of societies, the secret societies. And uh, he had revived a ceremony. And it was uh, regarded as a shaming ceremony. And they had traveled down Vancouver Island to Victoria to the legislature building and uh, had broken a copper, shaming the government for what they had done to our people. Uh, their part in it. You know, everybody can't say, well, it wasn't us, but at the same time, fine, we accept that for value and we'll just leave it up to you. Mm -hmm. And then the next year, uh, Haida Nation had given up a copper. And uh, the first journey, they walked all the way down Vancouver Island from the north end to uh, Victoria. And then the second journey, Lalacanese 2, they had set out on a journey to uh, cross Canada. Wow. And... um, so this time around, the uh, 
tied a copper uh, was given to uh, to uh, do this the shaming ceremony on the federal government in Ottawa. And so when uh, he headed off on his journey, he had crossed paths with me and the Shekhech Mekuluk up in uh, what they call the Shushwap, land of the Shushwap people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a place where I was living, and I had Sundance there for many, many years. And um, for whatever reason, I was having a really hard time getting to Sundance. And uh, then we got a call that uh, they wanted to welcome uh, Bo Dick and the Copper, Copper Caravan. And um, so we went and sang songs and welcomed him. I said, I think I'm related to that guy somehow. And after we met, we had found out that we were really closely related through hereditary bloodlines and as well as the matriarch of our people, the Kukwakuwak, too. My uh, relatives uh, related through the Squamish side of the family. Hmm. And um, I wound up going on the journey with him to Ottawa, and I brought all these ceremonies and these pipes and the Peace and Dignity staff uh, over there to uh, to facilitate the ceremony and to uh, to partake and share the message of uh, our people and the coppers uh, across the land. And so we had successfully um, broken the copper and returned all of that shame off of us people that it's been done to back and returned it back to the government. Mm-hmm. And... Um, at the same time, we had broken a piece off of it too for the crown, for what they had done to us too. You know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, we accept for value all of the atrocities that had happened to us. And then I came back to Vancouver and was part of a, a show, Lalakanis, All Directions, because All Directions came together for that. And then now um, the, there's plans to go to uh, Greece and. Uh, do ceremonies there. Um, Bo has carved a number of uh, masks, a tremendous collection of masks that uh, is going over there. And then there's also uh, the spirits of the forest and there's also uh, the supernaturals. And this is all part and parcel with the coppers that were broken and the pile of pennies that the Canadian government gave us back, the pennies. Hmm. that they took from the land, all the copper. So I have a copper uh, shield made in our design uh, out of pennies. It's made out of pennies, and it's going over there for display. And that, that has, that has um, value with regards to the uh, true value that we are as, as a Native people, tribal people. And I say that because all of these other words that they use to try to describe us... Mm-hmm puts us underneath their corporation for their business that they want to do. Right. So, what, well, yeah, what, let me just stop there for a sec. What type of words would, are you feel are appropriate to use and that are serving and empowering and not underneath that corporate structure? What would you, you know, like people to be, if there's something in on the television or in the news or in a document of some sort, like what, what would you say would be the best word to use that's not under that umbrella anymore? Well, that's the whole thing, right? Like, it's not even in English. Okay. Some okay. people right. like that some people sense. like to say sovereignty. Okay. You know, some right. people use that word to try to say that you know, old Geistes, he's a sovereign American Indian, and I accept that for value. You know, mm-hmm. if you see me as being that, none of those rules of Canada, United States, and any other third party has anything to do with me. Right. 
But a lot of other people are still searching for their identity right. and their identification with who they are. A lot of our people think that they're, you know, a band member of the Squamish band or, or the, the, the Sconleth band or, you know, the Nanaimo band, and that there's an ID number that's attached to that that says that we're First Nations in unceded territory. Right. And now all of those are commercial terms. Mm. That's not the actual name of the land. It's not the actual name of the people. It's the name of a different company. So I'd like to try to identify myself as being of the tribal people of the land, not on the citizenship, so that all of those terms that go along with being a good citizen on the ship, what they identify with being who they are, you know, I don't have anything against who people believe who they are. You know, the real spiritual force and the real feelings inside them is, is how they are. And if the system is working for them, then fine, you know, but there's there's more, you know. I just wouldn't want to see people hit that plateau underneath underneath the uh, umbrella mm-hmm. as being as high as you can go. Right. You know, I'd like to be encouraging the people to know that there's more. You know, and that it's all through peace. There's no argument right. about anything to anyone, any courts or any governments or anybody, that there's a peaceful way to be able to exercise who we are as tribal people and that it could have acceptance for value for whatever it is that's going on out there in the public in this big city. You know, even in my short life, I watched the city grow, you know, and I've watched it uh, change. And I've watched a lot of the same old, same old that I grew out of is still here. And there's still people trying to make their way out, mm-hmm. still suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. And I still have my ongoing problem with that, too. But the more that I move away and I address those issues within myself, the more I can really find out how am I going to be identified to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, which way? Okay, yes, I'm a... Uh, ceremonial leader I'm also an artist you know I'm also a singer I'm also you know work with elders and you know what what, how do I is there a box to fit me in it I don't know no that's been kind of my challenge this is why I've been trying to think of how I'm going to prepare for this podcast I'm like how do I even where do I begin how do I describe you know and and that's why I'm really happy to have you uh, open up and share so much just as you are right now because it's helping me well because I didn't know what to do to be honest with you you know and that's being just transparent and I'm like okay well how I've never been in a position to sit down and have a, a conversation like this with someone like you and I'm sure there's probably almost everybody that's listening has never been in that opportunity and so the fact that you're sitting down with us now and doing this now is pretty special mm-hmm. um you know, and you, you speak about so many different symbols and objects and songs and prayers that are, they have so much depth and meaning to them. And there's more than, you know, like someone might think, well, why, why would you go and, and do a shaming ceremony? What's that really doing? You know, what's that really doing? Mm-hmm. But let's be devil's advocate. If someone asked you, what is that really doing, guy you sees? What would you say to that? What is that really doing? really is a spiritual thing, you know, and it, you could look at it as being a artistic thing, 
you could look at it as co-creating something new, you know. But really, what it did was it disencumbered the right for the federal government of Canada to do business for us anymore. Mm. And what it really did was it lifted literally the shame off of all the people that and it was kind of like a favor to them, too, <laughs> at the same time, because this is like a huge backlog of atrocities that have happened on behalf of the government. You know, um, they were doing their job. They were looking after everybody. They were looking after what they could. They had to follow their policies and procedures. At the same time, we just said that that has nothing to do with us anymore. We're not going to carry the burden of all of that. And so... I've watched from the time that the copper was broken to this time now, and I've watched layers of it falling off people, mm. not just like a couple people, all people, right. all people that I have come into contact with that have been to the Lalakani show, that have been around the Peace and Dignity staff, because when we went to Ottawa, it, it was kind of like an act of war in the old days. Like if an old chief had found out that there was a copper going to get broken on him, sometimes they would just drop dead. Like right. just life would fall right out of them and they would not eat no more and that would be it. And then, um, but so mm. the thing that was uh, a really, really pertinent remedy for the situation that had happened in Ottawa was that the Unity Peace and Dignity staff, which is which I carry, also was the driving factor in bringing us across the country hmm. to all the different ceremonies all the way across the continent through the teepees and through the powwows and all the things, the pipe ceremonies across the continent. Yeah. And then so in the instant that that copper was broken, right behind it was peace. We're not here to fight a war with you guys. We're just, we don't want this no more. And so I think the, the realization of what has happened with the... Uh, with the copper caravan, and not just with that, though, but with the rise of the powwow, with the rise of the, the ceremonial songs, with the rise and the lifting of the pipes across the nations, you know, and then the rise of everybody, even within the um, transformative music scene, mm-hmm. you know, they, they it's all rising up to the top. And then um, you could say that it was just going to happen anyway, it might have just happened anyway. Right. You know, if we hadn't have done the ceremony, you know. Right. What it actually did was it broke a spell that was put on the original people of this land. Yeah. Hmm. It did. And that's, you know, that's something that I was kind of hoping you'd get into is like when you're operating or when you're living from a cosmology of spirituality and of connection with spirit and creator, that is the action. You know, these are the things that you do. And, um, you know, so a lot of people who aren't maybe living in connection consciously yet would look at that like, oh, let them do their thing. That's fine. I got to go to work tomorrow. And that's fine. But um, ultimately, I mean, personally, I agree and I understand to the degree uh, that I can of the necessity for humans to develop a greater spiritual connection and to learn about that element of themselves and to to recognize that we are more so much more than what 
society defines us to be, what culture defines us to be, um, what we define ourselves to be. We don't even know our limits. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to explore that stuff, my personal opinion is it comes into a spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And um, so with that realm, you learn about intention and the power of intention and the power of, well, actually the power of everything. Like when you do these symbol acts Mm -hmm. and you sing and you dance and you pray and you drum, and all these things you're doing, you're you're doing what needs to be done, or like you said, you're undoing the spell, or that is the work, you know. And it's getting out, breaking out of that hypnosis and that. Um, well, trap. it's your spirit that's moving your physical body, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing and witnessing in the physical form is happening and coming through from the spiritual realm, right? And so when he was using the words shaming ceremony, I just want to clarify that. My the way I see it is that the shame was part of the spell put on mm. the original people of this land, the tribal people. And so when they did this ceremony, what it did was it lifted that shame off of them. They said, enough is enough. We are no longer playing your game, and we know who we are, and we're taking our power back. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did by lifting their feathers and speaking their heart and praying their prayers and doing it in their way on their land. Mm. And so that's what I see now is the rise and return of the tribal people and the tribal ways. So it's it's not that they were trying to put shame on right. anyone right. for doing what they did. They said, no, we no longer carry shame for what happened to us. And that is what they were doing by breaking the spell. A lot of the things that people went through in these residential schools were ritualistic torture on children, the things that they did. And I know firsthand, I won't describe it. Mm -hmm. It's traumatizing. But I know from people that have been through it what happened, and it was ritualized. Okay, These are designed programs to overtake a a race of humanity. And so... Yeah, this ceremony that they performed uh, twice now so far, uh, Victoria and Ottawa, Mm -hmm. um, that's what it has done, is it it has sparked something. And when when were these done? 2014 and 2015. Okay. Am I correct? Very recent recent then. Yeah. Interesting. uh, Wait, 2013, 2014. Okay. Because we met 2015. Hmm. Yeah, so 2014, <laughs> 2014 was, uh, was Ottawa. Yeah. I thought it was till was 2012. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Time. Um, <laughs> There's a whole other podcast. Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, That's a good illusion. You brought some things with you here. Can you... I mean, just for people that are watching, and if you're not watching, I encourage you to get to a platform to watch. Um, show us what you have and... and Describe and I brought share. my fan. Okay. That's my beautiful, fan. by the way. Yeah, it works good. It's <laughs> hot. But uh, it's my helper. I uh, I got this from my brother. And I brought another uh, center feather that I use to uh, to run ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And um, I brought a drum that I'm painting. Wow. Still. Yep. Tell my bro Mario if he watches. That's not done yet. I'll I'll get it done, bro. I will. will. (laughs) Beautiful. 
And about um, a little rattle and a, a, is that whistle. a, a whistle. Yeah, just a little whistle here. And that I, I blow for reason, mm-hmm. for purpose, um, for uh, helping people um, everywhere. And uh, a lot, sometimes uh, these are made with, uh, with uh, bones of eagles. Eagle bones, wow. Yeah, uh, this one is, uh, I brought this one. I had the eagle bone ready to come, and I thought I'd bring the bamboo whistle, you know, to, uh, to bring here to the studio. And I've learned how to work with the bamboo whistle. It can communicate to a lot of other birds and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Too. And the eagle bone whistles calls on certain things. So yeah. I just wanted to be more open today. Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> I was going to blow it. <laughs> you can. You're welcome to. Yeah, I just need to have a good reason. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, I guess you just, yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, cool. Right. I'm hoping, right? <laughs> We never can know. get to some sort of something yeah. that needs to have a good. So the the, the fan you have, the white fan. What's uh, what would that use be? When is that used, and and um, and how is it used? Um, I use this one in uh, peyote ceremonies. I use this one at uh, in the ceremony at Ottawa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the ceremonies uh, around town, we had other ceremonies. Um, I used it in ayahuasca ceremonies. I used it at Sundance ceremonies. The tail fans. I also have the wing fans, which have different different uh, meanings. But I could we could have a whole show just on that's so and true. Fans. You're right, and you know, and maybe we'll. But this one's my fan. The other ones that I have is like mm-hmm. for my children. That's one thing that I didn't make mention to is that I'm a father. I have nine children and one grand and one granddaughter. Wow. And so we've all been in the mix of all of this stuff that's happened too to me. We're all coming out of that mix that's happened to to us right you know so big mention of my wonderful children yeah absolutely yeah. thank you um so actually when you go to say victoria or ottawa to do a ceremony kind of describe for us like what that looks like like how many people are joining you um where what's where do you set up uh, does someone actually come out from the government to receive you, or are you guys just, or are you all just doing your thing? Like, how, how does that go down, and is it received? And what what happens afterwards? Like, I'm so curious. Well, you know? the first thing that usually happens when you go to try to do something like that on the parliament or the legislature building is that the cops show up, right? <laughs> Don't they always? <laughs> yeah, our humble servants. <laughs> yeah. And they are like that way now for uh, tribal people who know who they are. Mm. And fortunately enough, we didn't get arrested when we got to Ottawa. They uh, were very, very helpful. The RCMP were very helpful. Like, we're not supposed to have our vehicles on the lawn and all this other stuff. Right. (laughs) Right? You're not supposed to have your vehicle in there. We got big, huge loading bands. We're unloading, you know... Lots of masks and lots of So how of many things. people are we talking about? How many people came to the Ottawa one? Um, and from where? From here, from the West Coast, uh, I think there was about 15 that had left uh, Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And then they had traveled up to Elders Gathering. They had traveled a few places in BC. They went up to the Chilcotin to wash the coppers in the sacred waters up there. They had come across over to uh, Vancouver from Vancouver over into the Shuswap, from the Okanagan. I went to the Sundance, and um, 
that's when we, uh, you know, I was at Sundance for uh, 20-some years, and I was praying for my family all the time. <laughs> and, like, I, it, it's a piercing Sundance mm-hmm. where you uh, mm-hmm. offer your flesh and for your prayers and your suffering. And um, right that day when I was meeting Wallace Goyam that day, I, I had a, nope, I'm not going, Creator. You're going to have to find somebody else. I don't know if you're listening to these prayers or not, but like mm-hmm. I haven't had any family members up there. My one brother was up there one day like many, many years ago, and um, I just don't think you're answering my prayers. And then Wallace Goyam and the family showed up, and we found out how we were related. And then we went to the Sundance, and uh, we had our prayers around a tree, sacred tree of life. Mm. And then I uh, did uh, the piercing ceremony after that on behalf of all the prayers that we have. And then from there, um, we headed off, you know, back over to the house. We went back down to the house, and then we got regrouped. And then he said, "Uh, I really want you to come. And so he headed over to uh, the Chilcotin, wanted me to go help wash the coppers in the ceremony that was happening over there. And then, But in the meantime, I just started packing I, I, uh, I was packing to go, and he came back, and I said, well, we'll, we'll go, man. Yeah, we'll come with you, and we'll support. So from there, we had a plan to go to um, Alberta. And um, so we left over in uh, what they call BC, and we're going through the mountains. Just when we got to the top of the mountains and we're coming down, mm-hmm. we started coming down, there was the hugest lightning shower. Like, all in this one valley where we were, it was just like... And the hugest thunder. Boom! Hmm. Like, I don't know if I can be that loud, but <laughs> but it shook. Like, we were, like, yeah. shaken by it. Yeah. And then, so we made it down, and we uh, talked to the uh, relatives around the Calgary area. And we stayed at a casino that they had over there. They were real hospitable while we regrouped. And then we went to the museum, um, the Glenbow Museum, maybe. Okay. And, and they, at first, weren't letting us in. Hmm. They were like, nope. And so the uh, Blood Tribe and the other tribes from surrounding areas showed up in Calgary, and they uh, let us in. <laughs> and when we went in there, we had our stuff in there. You know, we had a lot of our stuff that we went there. And so that's as far as the plan for going to Ottawa, man. <laughs> yeah. There was only leaving my house and making it to Calgary. Hmm. And then there was no plan. So then <laughs> the plan, my bro was like, well, it's up to you, bro. Which way do we go from here? <laughs> so I had to regroup. and I had to pull it together. And then so the journey went north to uh, to Edmonton. And we went to the campuses at the university, and there was a, a faculty, the First Nations faculty there that welcomed us. And then we did a ceremony uh, praying about the uh, legislature in Edmonton. Mm. And then from there, we headed over to uh, Onion Lake to a big powwow that was happening there. Mm. And uh, they had a special for us, and you know, we all danced in there. Which was interesting because everybody at Pow Wow danced clockwise, and we went in there and we went counterclockwise. Just because of different traditions? Yeah, we got to, we take care of different things. Okay. And uh, so 
that was a really tremendous experience that we had. And then we went from there to Saskatchewan, and we sat with the uh, Native American church people. Uh, mm. And then we went from there to uh, Saskatoon and met with another uh, group of people who passed us uh, grizzly bear staffs. Wow. And then uh, many ceremonies, like at these places, pipe ceremonies, peyote ceremonies, at these places where we traveled. And then we traveled to um, Manitoba because we were, like, getting pressed for time. Mm-hmm. We had to just, like, kind of floor it from Saskatoon all the way to uh, to uh, Winnipeg mm. and. I think we rested somewhere along the way there, but we were flooring it. And then we had pipe ceremonies at the Thunderbird House, which is a building that's all covered with uh, Derek uh, Napanak, a grand chief over there, um, met us. We came into the to the Thunderbird House there, and then he just stopped because he, he was trying to help us, right, because it was a media thing. We wanted to bring the message of what happened to us, to everybody. And so he had all the media there, he had all the news people there, and he just took one look at us and he said, "Oh, just right on, I'm glad you guys are here. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, I got my pipes and stuff here. He said, I'll get rid of these guys, I'll make a statement to them. Okay. And then we'll come in here. So he, he had brought, he had invited media there yeah, to, and hoping to support, but then he realized. He realized that it was a spiritual thing because okay. he had dreamt our meeting us already. Oh, interesting. And so mm-hmm. we are already, he pipes were there, big buffalo robes, headdresses, you know, or regalia and mm-hmm. all the stuff that we had there. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was like kind of at the middle of the continent. And um, we did many... Uh, prayers at that time there and protocol with the hereditary lines and uh, from the Grand Chief in uh, Manitoba. And then uh, the next day we had uh, unlocked our ceremonies around the Parliament, the legislature in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting uh, architectural <laughs> thing to look at. Right. It's got like the Ark of the Covenant, it's got right. the chief and the Roman soldier, you know, mm. looking east. It's got all kinds of things and it's very openly open coffee book to public about the sacrifices sacrifices that they did there in that building on mm-hmm. the black star they just tell all about it wow they're just open about it they don't even try to ha- say that they're doing evil they're not trying to powder puff it saying we're doing good they just straight up have a coffee book in their library that says that this is what we do here wow. and this is the history of what's happened in this building hmm. so that was a pretty heavy duty load for us to be able to undo do you think it's it's good to have that sort of just transparency about it? Well, it's becoming more and more apparent to everybody. I think the more that they're rising to the consciousness, they're 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 growing people on a planetary level, mm-hmm. and um, the way it, that we're developing, you know, together, is we're able to see that stuff now. Before it was like, oh, that's just not real. Mm-hmm. But then it winds up being that that's what they did there. Mm-hmm. Well, we, when we went around that building, um, we were out front, and uh, there was people taking photo for us to help document our journey and stuff. Some of our relatives, and this guy, he, uh, he had a black briefcase, and he just had a black suit on and like black tie, and he's just like grumpy looking and. <laughs> And he goes, uh, he said, um, he said, uh, hey, uh, you want to take a picture for us or something? Because my buddy wanted to get in. And the guy says, 
He says, he just looks at him with just horrible look. We're tired of feeding all you people. <laughs> wow. And my bro's like, well, why don't you stop stealing back. from our trust and estates then? <laughs> yeah. How about you stop giving, you know, that's a nice car you got there. He didn't, whoa, he was like, how do you know about that? Hmm. And he just ran away real quick. He didn't look back. He put his head down and he just trucked out of there. Because we're starting to know what's been happening, you know. We're starting to know where this illusion of money's come from. We're starting to figure that out. Hmm. And so the journey from there went over to Ontario. And we went back in through like the hills over there and Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. And then we made our way across over to Ottawa. And when we got there, you didn't, nobody knew where anybody was. There's five carloads of us, right? Big moving trucks carrying totem poles and all the masks and everything. Wow. There was a caravan of us. Wow. And we got over there and um, we wound up staying in the same hotel. We just landed there. Yeah. Like, and so we all knew where each other was. Yeah. And then as soon as we got there, my brother Wallace Koyam headed over to the parliament and uh, let them know that we're coming there to do a ceremony. We're not asking you if it's okay. We're just letting you know that we're coming here to do a ceremony. And he came back to the hotel, and he was happy. He was like, great on, bro. They're just licking our boots over there. And I started laughing. I was like, ew, we just came across the country, yeah, <laughs> across the continent. And so, but no, but they're helpful, he said. He says, uh, I don't think they're going to arrest us. <laughs> and I said, well, we still have to do it anyway, bro. We came all the way across the country to yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah. So um, they were really helpful when we got there. Um, they were extremely helpful. They were like moving crowd out of the way and they were telling people not to touch our stuff and they were like assisting us in setting up this altar so that we could do a shaming ceremony. And I think a little bit later afterward, they were like, I don't know if we had known what you were going to (laughs) do, if we were going to let you do it. Yeah, well. But then it's already in the rear view mirror now, mm -hmm, you know, so... mm -hmm. It was a good ceremony. It was a good day for everybody. Yeah. And it was an incredible journey. And every stop and every story all the way along the way has so much more to offer than what I'm sharing. There was a tremendous amount of support um, from uh, Bobby Joe. Um, He was uh, president of the Truth and Reconciliation uh, here in the West. And um, a lot of support from uh, different art communities. Galleries and collectors around town, uh, Frazakas, and different support from different people. Because uh, as we were traveling along, we didn't know from day to day where we were going to sleep and if we were going to have enough money for food and gas. So there was a tremendous amount of support that came from the West to support the journey over there and to get us back. And all of that is all the spiritual force, like all of it. Like every pouch of tobacco, every medicine that was gathered from all the different tribes across the continent was all in support of this spiritual force that's rising. And And the copper itself, of course, is absorbing all of the energy from everywhere that they went and every ceremony they did along the way. The copper becomes like 
Geistes describes it as a spiritual credit card, the way that mm. you can charge it up mm. and add. It becomes cumulative, mm. the energy. So everywhere they went, people would put their hands on the copper, which is a spiritual shield, not a physical shield held up for battle. It's a spiritual shield. Right. Mm. And so it would absorb all of that, um, which then would be released when mm. they broke it. Right. And there's a book. There's a book been done about it. Uh, through the Morrison Helen Belkin Gallery, had picked up the story, and he had a uh, uh, what do you call it a, a show there, and they had all the instruments and the masks and the staffs and the coppers and everything that we had put into the journey over there, and we had returned back here and had a feast for it, and so we had followed through with our tribal laws in doing it, and. Um, you know, the Haida Nation, uh, Gujau, is the ones who put up the copper to break in Ottawa. And um, so Haida Nation was a big support for for it. And also we carried the Haida flags and the Shekwekmek flags, and we, we carried a number of flags that was given to us across the continent too. And then, so it wound up coming together in a show called Lalakanis, a um, journey of truth and unity. And that's still unfolding you know, the many layers to what it is that's happened is still unfolding. Since the time that the coppers were broken, um, the Canadian government has uh, stopped using the pennies. And um, I, I kind of look at it like this way. I says, well, if you don't have a penny, how are you going to build a dollar? Hmm. And so they gave the pennies back to us. So that, to me, is a part of the copper-breaking ceremony. Mm-hmm. That that there is a spiritual, physical, you know, thing that you can look at that's happened right. as a result of breaking copper. Hmm. And so all of this force is coming up and welling up to the place where now we're realizing that this monetary system of money is not really based on too much, except for what we want to into it right with our sweat and equity mm-hmm. and so those kind of things we have to try to learn to strive to have balance within ourselves because like for us the, the native people the tribal people from here from the land us going out with going without a paycheck and going without the comfortable life mm-hmm. that's normal for us so now we're stronger for it and you know, the way things are going, every financial expert in the world will say the way things are going, that people are going to feel the crunch, mm. that they've taken too much, most people say, mm. and that there's not nothing to balance it out. So um, my prayer goes out there to people to be able to uh, to learn this, this law that there is here on earth of give and receive, you know, so for us to be in Ottawa and for us to break the copper and then for us to offer up that peace and to blow that whistle, that eagle bone whistle, to offer that peace for now. Because it all boils down to peaceful possession, you know, and that's of our house here. This house, this body is the house of our spirit, the way that we believe it to be. And um, so, like, to be able to have that peace and just to hold it and maintain it different stress levels and stuff that happen in life, but we can work together to have peace really in our hearts. You know, we can become unified in that, 
you know, and then dignity. We just hold each other up as high as we can, with dignity. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be able to, uh, because the way things are heading, you know, like the ball's rolling, um, we have to take a look at what we're doing on a level of the way the coppers are. The system and the society that we have within our secret societies here of governance. But we'll just use that word loosely, governance. But like our people have our way of taking care of our society. And, you know, they could call it, oh, a secret society. Well, we had to keep it secret. Otherwise, we'd get killed for doing it. Mm. You know, so having those things intact, how do we look after our people? And the simplest way that I have found to be able to share it is that um, we are a people of service. We're not a people, you know, like... Uh, so my brother's a fisherman. My other brother's a canoe builder. My other brother, you know, makes paddles. My other brother makes the baler. You know, my other brother makes the knives. My other aunties and that make the weaving and the clothes so that we stay dry. You know, the whole society, the kids go grab her the beach food. They, they, you know, all the things was all part of putting it into the big pot so that we didn't have to go do all the jobs. We didn't have to go to work. We didn't have to go shopping. We didn't have to put gas in the car. We didn't have to do all those on an individual basis just to afford to put food in one mouth. Mm. But we had a society of people that we needed so that we worked together in service to one another so that we could all eat and have all what we want. And even what we need, an extra so that we can call people over to enjoy our hospitality. And that's just a different way of, of doing things. It's a real way of give and receive. So if I give into this part, I'm going to receive from this part because those people are giving into that other mm-hmm. part. So it becomes a full circle of service to one another. And it's still alive. You know, it's still doing well. You know, the same ethics and values that we've had for thousands and thousands of years are still alive and well. The, and they're in our spiritual force. You know, the, the relationship that has been failing, why they think that we're losing all that stuff, is because it's been cut off here. That it's everything we think and everything we're taught, what we read and everything we hear. But when we quiet everything down and we listen to the force of the spirit, then you start talking in a realm of a world that, through our language, connects us to everything. And then we realize at that point that we have not lost anything, that we have everything. All of our languages are all there, all of our everything. We don't need to read out of a book, you know. We just need to try to, to create that connection that the spiritual force is in control of the mind, not the other way around. You know, and that's a journey. There's many layers and many tricks that the mind tries to play to be in control of everything. There's this illusion that the mind has control over everything. And um, it's very powerful. Like it made these microphones and these lights and this this room, this building, these roads, these highways, you know, and made mm-hmm. this jewelry, you know, and made, the ego made everything. It's very, very powerful. But now that it made everything, now now that we're in such a deep, deep, deep 
kind of a hole. Now it's time for the spiritual force to rise up and try to help manage and handle what the mind has done. Hmm. And that we wind up learning how to grow into balance of it again. We'll be able to hold each other up with dignity that our kids and our kids' kids' kids will have something. Hmm. And the way that it's going now, it's pretty scary if you take a look at the way it's going now. And then at the same time as there's all of this fear, this war, all this stuff happening that's looming over the dark forces, at the same time, there's all these people who are like peace and like help and support one another. So um, try to focus my energy at being clear on both sides, like the hands clapping together, the negative force and the positive force coming together and stand right in the middle. Hmm. That's where the power is at. And you can only stand there if you're in peace. Hmm. You can only stand there if you're in peace all the way and to maintain it and to hold it and to have it. And through that, you wind up earning rights to just have fans like this. Uh, a lot of the ceremonies that I go to, the only people who have white bands is the elders with white hair. Mm-hmm. They are the old ones. They sit behind that fan, you know. And so me being a young man carrying these things, you know, but with old teachings to back up these things, you know, it's another opportunity for us, to, I think. Um, and I feel that it's time uh, for this kind of uh, show to happen. Um, that it hasn't always been time mm-hmm. for these kinds of stories and these kinds of things to happen and to be told. Um, and it has to do with this uh, unity, peace, and dignity. Uh, I didn't bring it today, but I was going to bring the condor feather over and the eagle that I have together. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe at some point we'll talk about that. I'll bring the staff here mm-hmm. and uh, we'll discuss more about that. But they... I'll just briefly mention that the prophecy of the condor and the eagle uniting, North and South America uniting in uh, unity, peace, and dignity, um, that that time is is now, that the condor feather and the eagle feather and the relatives of the condor and the relatives of the eagle Mm -hmm. are united. And we've all been united for this whole seven generations because we've been praying towards this time that we're in right now. And they said that when... All this time, they've said that when the light reaches the indigenous people, the native people of the Pacific Northwest, that they'll become so illumined that they'll enlighten the whole world. And then the other thing that they said was that when the condor and the eagle unite, that the world will be ready to hear the ancient teachings of the indigenous people of the land. And so we're here at this point now, where that now that it's happening, that we're uniting at such a level that it cannot be undone because you can't unlearn something that you really know in your spirit. And so now is the time that I can sit in front of a microphone, have the support of my ancestors, have the support of my elders, have the support of the children, have the support of all life to be able to sit in front of a microphone and talk to so many people out there, wonderful relatives who are trying to find a way you know, and I'm not saying that us indigenous people have all the answers for everything because there's a lot of great minds out there who have powerful spirits too and have learned a few things 
about how we can use green technologies, how we can implement some of these changes so that we have sustainable living and we have this way of life again, you know, that we give back to our mothers, that we clean up our oceans, that we look at the radiation, that we take care of these problems so that we can sustain life on this planet. That our responsibility isn't just about, you know, keeping our own roof over our head, but we have to keep the roof over our head. This canopy of air that's holding space out, we have to hold that here and try to maintain it and look after ourselves. By looking after ourselves is how we do it. And we'll start to see and earth will start to heal. Some of our other relatives that I work with within regards to this Unity, Peace and Dignity journeys is other relatives and spiritual leaders of the tribes of the Kogi, the tribes in Ecuador, the tribes in Brazil, the Awanawa, the different tribes that work with the different medicines, with the Hakka, the, the peyote people, you know, the different relatives who have the different Sundance trees and everything. All of these relatives are all saying the same thing, and none of them have met. Nobody's met physically but we're part of the spiritual thing and this 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 job that i that i have um i'm grateful for it you know i'm really grateful to carry songs and i'm really grateful to be able to talk about the condor and the eagle to have this introduction to uh vancouver real and the listeners that are out there and um i have a lot of gratitude for um for my life you know, today, my my beautiful wife and how she uh, loves and 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 cares for me. You know, I, there was a time in my life when I couldn't accept love from people, even strangers. You know, if they were, if they were being nice to me, it was too overwhelming. So I'm really grateful that the Creator's given me a path in life to be able to find a safe place to step. You know, and if it wasn't too safe, that I made it through safely. <laughs> You know, because of the choices and decisions growing up in survival mode put me in precarious positions throughout my life. But I have to say that every single time there was a profound experience of mental and physical and emotional and spiritual development that I had to do to be able to sit in front of this microphone today to be able to share something. I hope that what I bring here that what comes here with me is good for everything and everybody, you know, in all ways. Always. And always. <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. Yeah. All love, always, always. And um, I think, um, yeah. like, with that, too, you know, I, I, I think it's time that I could sing an eagle song right. and um, blow this whistle and... Um, just share share that, um, and then you know I knew that there was like uh, cameras here and stuff, and I just brought a couple of feathers and things like that. But as the podcast grows, you know, I would uh, for the cameras come here with more and more regalia. So by the time the fourth podcast came, then you'd have a visual right. of. You could start with the first thought of a snotty-nosed little kid on a reserve, <laughs> you know, <laughs> making yeah. his way, picking bushes to eat, 
you know, dodging all the violence and everything and made my way out to have something, something within my heart to be able to stand for, you know, Mother Earth. Yeah. So I'm going to blow this whistle for that. Um, for all the listeners out there and uh, for all of the, uh, the relatives who have um, the voice and they want to join in, if you're listening to this, if you want to uh, sing this song, any time is a good time to sing this song. Um, this song came, uh, I'll tell you, there's, uh, my, uh, my brother William Belgard. I uh, was in um, the penitentiary um, on Vancouver Island uh, 20-some years ago. And uh, he had um, been going there to help the Native Brotherhood uh, singing. He'd bring his drum in there called Night Sun. And they called it Night Sun so that he could hold the light all night at the powwow. <laughs> hmm. And... Um, so that's one of the first drums that I sat at, and he told me this story about where the song came from. And they were in the yard over there at William Head, um, sitting outside, a nice spring sunny day. And uh, they, one guy looks up, he was sitting around in a circle at the drum, and one guy looks up and he goes, hey, an eagle. Everybody stops and they take a look and they're like, yeah, oh, grandfather, thank you, grandmothers. You know, they had their one little prayer that they put up to the great eagle, help carry our prayers to the creator. Another guy says, wouldn't it be cool if it dropped a feather? They're all looking up at it. Oh, yeah. Another guy says, a feather. Look. Eagle's still circling up, but there's a feather floating down into the, into the prison. And uh, so they all jump up, and they're running around. They're running around, feathers floating down, it's coming down, it's floating around on the wind, and they're running around trying to catch it. Hmm. And um, my bro, he just sat there. He just sat there at the drum, and he's kicking back, and he's watching it, and he's looking at them running around. And then it wound up coming down, and it landed right in the middle of the drum and made a sound. So it floated down and came down and it landed right in the middle. So there's these guys, you know, big, huge guys, muscle-bound guys, work out all the time, you know. Got a lot of extra time to do that kind of sort of thing. And um, he said they all just started crying. They were like, something real just happened for them, you know, something profound, yeah. healing. For them and I really have a good um, connection to this song as an eagle dancer for uh, many years and I uh, can can relate to those guys you know the, the fastest growing reserve in in the world the fastest growing population of indigenous people is in the prison system. There's more and more native people growing into jail than anybody else. Hmm. And it's been like that the whole time. But it's getting more and more. So my prayer goes all 
out to all those relatives who are somehow, some way, we find ourselves and have the ability to put ourselves into our own prisons in our lives, and we block ourselves from being who we are and being how we need to be for us to be happy and healthy. The way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we treat our bodies, the way what we eat and what we do, and how we treat each other. You know, this song comes from the eagle to help us with all of those things, to help free us. And when it, real freedom comes from within, the real ability to have a good, healthy, happy life it doesn't have to do with these man-made borders or these man-made rules and regulations, policies and procedures or any of that stuff, even if they put a cage around you. <laughs> like the relatives who were in the jail at that time, they uh, still wound up getting this blessing. So I'll blow this uh, whistle for that today, and I'll sing this song for that today. So all the people will be happy, healthy, Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually.
opportunity at this time to raise up our hands, to raise up our spiritual force from the bottom of our feet and the core of Mother Earth all the way through everything that's alive on this planet, through our bodies and our vessels, and we lift our hands up to creation, to the stars, to the heavens, to however you want to look at how the rest of all of creation is out there through the rest of the star nations. And we say thank you to the eagle. And we say thank you to all of our loved ones for being loving. And we give thanks for everything that there is. In gratitude, we say thank you. whistles that I blew for everything and everyone listening and all those loved ones that that song be ignited and used so we could all sing together sometime <laughs> it'd be nice to have a few hundred thousand people singing the same song mm-hmm. wow <clears throat> well with that folks that's that's what we'll leave it today and Gaius um, and Jasmine thank you so much for for coming here, for sharing your story, for sharing your teachings, and uh, sharing uh, this journey that your people have been going through and are going through, and where it's going, and what what the intentions behind this are all. Um, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'm really quite speechless right now, to be honest with you, and um, I'm really, really honored to be able to have been a part of this and to share this with people and uh and i look forward to to more yeah yeah it'd be nice to be able to uh to get into some of the the, the things that I, that I went through kind of like when the sun was rising that mm-hmm. first direction east and take a journey around the medicine wheel and take a look at how that development happened That's, you know because people are at that place where the the light's coming now. That's right. Maybe we could take a journey together. I think uh, I think we'd very much like to do that. <laughs> so thank you very, very much yeah. to both of you. I'm really humbled. 
And uh, thank you for joining us to you, uh, whoever's listening. Thank you. And until next time, do whatever is. All my relations. Gaza Kessler.